Welcome, guys, to a brand new Poker Player Podcast. I'm your host, Andreas Furley, and today I'm joined by a poker player, firm foremost, previously a lawyer, has been doing poker commentary, working in poker content, award-winning Twitter content as well for herself. Welcome, Jamie Kirsten, to the podcast. How are you doing? Thanks. I'm doing well. How about you? Doing great. Um, for you, it's a little bit early still, but uh, now we're like in different time zones. I'm, I'm happy that we could find the time to uh, make this podcast happen. What I want to start first with is um, basically to go a little bit in depth in where your background is and what your poker story is. Like, how did you get into poker? Um, I, I played a little. I'm from the Atlantic City area, so um, casinos and stuff was like a little bit like it wasn't as scary to me as it would be to most women trying to play. Um, but I played a little when I was in Atlantic City and then uh, I moved to Michigan for law school and there were some Detroit casinos. Also, um, when I was in law school, I started playing in a game with a bunch of uh, other like aspiring lawyers. And while I was not getting the A in class, because it was like super competitive, it was like one person out of a hundred would get the A, uh, I could beat those guys at poker. So for me, that was like extremely satisfying um, to be good at a game versus smart people who were probably better than me at almost everything else. Um, and that like really got me to love poker. Um, and I started playing a little on party poker and, and uh, playing sit and goes and stuff like that. Um, once I graduated law school, I got a, a good job. Uh, at this firm I thought I was going to work at forever. They ended up, um, it was during the banking crisis, so uh, they ended up laying off all the first and second year attorneys, and I was like, oh no. Um, and then I, I just played a ton of poker. That was basically like, I don't have anything to do. I'm used to working infinite hours per week, so I just threw myself into poker. I read, at that time, it was hard to find really good um, strategy content anywhere. It wasn't like, I'd be like all right, I'm going to work with solvers now. So I ended up just going to Barnes and Noble and bought like six poker books and just studied it like it was a subject um, in school. And it was good enough at the time to make me some money, so. Yeah, that is a, one very interesting element to me is that whole poker smart thing. Because you you just described like you would have that feeling that these other people in, in law school, they would outperform you in, in terms of studying, but that you felt really great that you could outsmart them <laughs> at the poker table. Like, what what do you think is it uh, that that is in your quality? What do you think makes up for a, a great poker player that that you can beat the others that you know that are playing poker against you? Like, what what do you think immediately gave you the ability to beat them? Um, I want to qualify this by saying this is how it used to be, right? Like 10 years ago, um, if you sat down and you you paid more attention, you had that like competitive drive to figure out once you played a hand a certain way, is that the best way to play it? What if I had done this? What do I think this guy would have done back? Even just thinking like that made me better than those guys because they were just like gamble. Oh, and, and like other people would say, oh man, like, oh, you've had aces twice and I haven't had aces today. And like they'd get bogged down with that. And I would just be thinking, all right, I think I could make more money if I do this. And like, what if I'd done that? And just like thinking in terms of, instead of being results oriented, thinking in terms of like, I think I could have actually played that better. And just being a little more analytical with how I was playing at the time, that was it. You didn't have, you know, there wasn't, there weren't these like great poker minds in my law school game. Um, it was just about like trying to be good at that game um, and just like trying to think a little more. And I was just like very consistent. And same thing when I would go to the casino, I'm like, I had no business winning. I, I put, you know, 20 hours a week, maybe max into playing and studying and thinking about it. And that's it. Mm -hmm. But at the time, poker was booming. And that was more than other people were doing. They were, oh, 
fruit fly. <laughs> um, that's more than other people are doing. So I guess that was it, just putting in slightly more thought into the game than other people when they were thinking of it as gambling. Yeah, okay. So, so the two elements that I see that you mentioned is, um, first of all, the mindset aspect, of course, not worrying about like how many aces you get. And yeah. then the, the second thing is to to consider that you're being wrong, like having an openness towards like what strategic opens are non-result-oriented, basically, right? Mm -hmm. um, I what I also have like my first memories with poker, and uh, I was winning also right away in some free rolls against other people. And for me, a third element was pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. I think Florida Farm mentions it's a lot as well that it's like one of his strengths. Uh, would you say like pattern recognition was also really important in your games when you started out? Yeah, I think that's really important for sizing up your opponents too. If there's some guy who like I would notice there there were people I played with every single week. If someone's making it uh, 10 preflop when they have aces and they're making it 15 preflop when they have garbage, I would notice that because I loved poker and I was watching everything. Um, also, there was one guy in the game that I would talk to, and I don't think other people would do that. I was just like, man, I think Brad is like, I think Brad is like way too loose in this spot. And we would talk about that and like size up other people. And it was a small game. It's not like I'm like, oh, I'm going to like heist these people for thousands of dollars. It was like $20 buy in with rebuys but I wanted to win it, and like I'm paying 50k a year to go to that law school. I'm not actually concerned about the money in the game, but it was like very satisfying to beat people I thought were very smart. And like, so I guess that's part of it too, is just like the competitive aspect of it where I'm like, I want to win at this game. I don't want to just like play this for fun. Sure. I think that's that's how it all starts out. For me at the beginning, it wasn't necessarily money either. It was just like, mm -hmm. I, I, did, I wanted to win. And how was that? Uh, a lot of people out there listening to this, they have similar things with like their parents, right? Because mm -hmm. like, you know, the expectations of others are so important to us human beings that sometimes we will not pursue something like poker. So especially because you're a woman and a lot of women will not play poker, like what do you think is, was different for you that you ended up playing anyway because mm -hmm. of your parents' concerns? Like what, what made you then, you know, just because I enjoyed it and why do you think others aren't doing that? Yeah, um, I've, I've been super into sports. Like I played uh, division one soccer and ran track at Rutgers and I like needed to replace that with something. So. I did feel pressure. I felt pressure from my mom, especially to, to just kind of like give it up, um, go make sure I'm a lawyer and successful and stable and all that. But my drive to be competitive at something like I it was so ingrained in me that I don't think it mattered. Like I did face a lot of it was tough. You go home for the holidays and like my siblings are kind of crushing their own respective fields and they're very stable and their families and all this and me i'm like oh this is what i want to do and i it was hard for me at first but now i feel like i value my own opinion at the age of 37 as much as i value my mom's you know at 21 it's harder like i i valued her life experience and and felt like okay she is trying to help me like this is a thing where i i know she has my best interest in mind and i i would take her opinion very very like strongly where now I'm like, like I still once in a while she'll be like, oh, are you sure you don't want to have kids? Are you sure you don't want to do this and that? I'm just like, I don't know, <laughs> like maybe, but um, I also value how I feel about my life, how I want it to go. Um, and I think it's harder for younger people because you are used to them being a, an authority figure and having your best interest and telling you what to do and guiding you. And so I think that is hard. And I think it is harder for women too um, because there's also like societal pressure. You feel like you're doing the wrong thing. When you walk into a casino and you see all dudes, 
and you go buy your chips and you sit at the table and they look at you kind of funny like what are you doing here and then you're like what am I doing here like it does feel weird to do that but I think for me like the drive from sports carried over I needed some outlet for it and poker took mm -hmm. the place of it and so I just I was too committed to playing it to listen to people who were trying to like deter me yeah, as you said, not just the parents. And you said that uh, also in another podcast that your your mom was so proud that you you did law school and you yeah. know it's like, but now now I'm playing poker also, <laughs> or I'm actually want to do this. And like, how do you find the courage to actually value your own opinion almost more in that matter of your life, right? That you consider what the other person is saying, your parents, mm -hmm. but that in the end you're really listening to yourself. I think that that is. I think that is a skill that has to be learned um, mm -hmm. in your 20s, 30s sometimes, sometimes even later. It, it, yeah. It's just uh, not an easy thing to do. I, for, for me, it was totally the same. Like, um, I, I, it took me like until I was like 25, 26, and I finished with uh, teaching um, um, with a degree. And then I taught for like one year and I realized like that I have to do this poker thing full time now. I wanna see what I can do in this industry. Yeah. I want to go full uh, all in. When was it time for you when you actually you you mentioned you were working at um, a law firm, right? And then you had like a part-time job, and then they wanted to offer you a full-time job, and then you you kind of have to say, well, no, I, I'm gonna. Yeah, that was the worst. That I I thought that was the perfect. I was so excited. So I thought for one thing, everyone kind of cautions you when you play poker that, oh, make sure you don't have too big a gap in your resume. It's going to be really hard to explain. And you go back that, oh, you've been playing poker and you haven't been working. So I always had that in the back of my head the couple years that I was like really throwing myself into poker. Um, and I hadn't had any reason to like apply for a job. I was doing fine. I was not getting rich, but I was doing fine. And I'm, I'm like, all right, whenever I want to go back to law, I'll go back and I'll apply. And I'm sure it'll be a huge uphill battle because people all said gaps in your resume are terrible. Um, I, I got this email um, from this like recruiter that said, uh, there's a, a tax uh, lawyer, like a state planning lawyer job that's part time. That's from the area like that you had been working. In. I'm like, all right, I'll like I'll throw a resume to them. I did that. I get an interview the next week. I hit it off super well with the three partners at the firm, and they hired me that day, like on the spot. So all the th all the stuff is bullshit. Everyone is going from their own experience of, hey, it's really hard to do. It's like, based on what though? It's your one life experience, tiny sample size. So I actually had no trouble getting. Um, my second job and after a very short time working with them their firm was growing um and they said great news we're gonna we're gonna give you full-time instead of part-time doing and a, a normal person would say oh that's amazing like it's so hard in this market to have like a full-time job doing exactly what you want but for me nightmare i wanted to play poker I, I wanted to work 20 hours at this law firm have a steady income have that be the thing that makes my mom relax you know, just, hey, I'm okay, I'm doing this thing. And then maybe I'll go play a WPT every once in a while. Maybe I'll go play, uh, I'll go play 510 on the weekends or when I have my like four days straight because I wasn't working every day at that firm. Um, it was perfect. And I wish that it had happened to me now because I would have said, no, thanks. I would have said 20 hours a week is great. Maybe you need to hire another part-time attorney if you really need more work done. But at the time I found it really hard. I knew they wanted me to, to go full time and I found it hard to say no. And that's what led me to quitting a year later. I just didn't want to do it. Yeah, I mean, I, saying no also ultimately and then having that fear in the back of your mind that you cannot go back. So mm -hmm. there's certainly something, something that I thought about, like, what if I wanted to teach at some point? Again, would, would the school like just take me after I have all these poker content out there? Content oh, was another right. thing. Like, right? I, I have a YouTube channel about poker and about 
gambling, right? In Switzerland, we're a very, very conservative country, right? Oh, okay. Like people are super conservative. Mm -hmm. They're not like this open to something like poker. Like a lot of people wouldn't approve of. They, you know, if you ask, like generally speaking, people will say, well, yeah, I'm there. They're interested and they think, oh, that's cool. But there's also a lot of people that wouldn't say anything. They would have yeah. a lot of thoughts on their own. Uh, and especially in schools and you know you're basically should be a role model for kids mm -hmm. and then I, I did a lot of swearing on some streams and stuff uh, <laughs> so it's like okay I, I could I could talk myself into the fact like well or into um that that I couldn't really go back to that but like yeah in the end I don't I don't think that's that's true at all. Like if I wanted to teach next year again, I think I could do that if that's what I would want to do. And there, there would always be an option to, to just, you know, like my strategy was always like I would go to a school that needed like work for one, two weeks. And if mm -hmm. they liked me, they would ask me for longer periods. Like I, I always knew that that was just like you don't in, in Swiss schools, you don't even have to apply, right? You just go, you teach, um, and then if they like you, they're going to offer you a, a year's job or a three years job. I think that's just what I, how I went out of it. So I saved myself all the time and hassle to like apply to like 20 schools after I graduated. It's it's mm -hmm. just, for me, it was a better strategy. Some people, I had this like one conversation with the poker players. I say, Andreas, you're so lazy. You don't want to deal with like all this rejection thing and stuff. You, you just, <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's a little bit of so, an avoidance strategy, but I think it's also smart. Yeah, um, it's, like, it's like laziness and efficiency often go hand in hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but maybe I should have, should have applied sometimes and, and got that like, no, you can't teach right now. And then mm -hmm. having that realistic, maybe maybe some fear sometimes is good that you cannot do a certain thing. But yeah, a lot of people, they shoot way overboard and they think that they cannot do a certain mm -hmm. thing anymore. It's totally not true. Like they over identify with their thoughts, in my opinion. Yeah, I think too that um, certain things we get out of poker, um, I definitely think more logically about certain things. And also, I'm not as results oriented in anything. So the fact that I could go back and get this job the first time I apply, I don't think, oh, anytime I want to go back and get a job, I'll get the first one I apply for. I got really lucky and I, I hit it off with these people in an interview. I could have had the person an interview who thinks gambling is degenerate and horrible and and they could say hey we really like you and yeah you've got good grades and all this stuff sorry though you you're a degenerate gambler bye that could happen so the people who are giving me advice about oh man make sure you don't stay out of, of uh, law for more than a couple years because this and that and like they are going on what one friend told them it was hard to get a job after being out for a few years or whatever like I don't know it's a poker is definitely really cool with how it kind of like shapes your brain in other aspects of your life so when was a year where you played poker full time? When did what did it start and for how many years did you then do that poker thing for or playing poker for yeah, full time? I think when was the last one? I think I quit that job in 2012 or 11. Some, oh, yeah, it was 2011. Duh, because it was the year of Black Friday. Uh, the yeah. timing was pretty hilarious. Um, <laughs> like you couldn't have scheduled it worse. Uh, I quit and I, uh, I was like, I'm not going back to law for a while. I had like a tough conversation with the woman I worked under and I was like, I really like you guys. I think I really just don't like being a lawyer. Um, and then Black Friday happened and, and uh, a decent amount of my money. I didn't have a huge bankroll. So having 15K locked up on full tilt was actually mm -hmm. pretty harsh for me. Um, and I ended up uh, moving to Rosarito, Mexico about a year later. I was in denial for a full year. I'm like, oh, come on, land of the free. They're just going to switch the switch back on and we're all going to play poker and it'll be funny to look back at. I can't believe we still don't have it. It's, it's absolutely insane. Um, but yeah, that kind of started me 
thinking of myself as a real professional poker player when I left the country. And that is the only thing I did. I had no other income. Um, and since then, so it's been about eight years. And yeah. in between though, I'm like, I've been, now I don't even feel like a pro poker player. I'm like, there are, for a month straight, I just grinded 10 hours a day, but I still would have trouble saying I'm a professional poker player because I just do a bunch of other stuff too. Mm -hmm. But that, I mean, I just like, they did the same thing, by the way, like one and a half years ago in Switzerland and I moved preemptively, um, uh, is that the right word? I moved to Austria because of that. And, uh, but for you, I think it was different because that must've been really hard because you went to Mexico. That was um, a little bit of a different thing than going from Switzerland, like a small country over to Austria. But yeah, I mean, you just go to Mexico for what you want to do. And then you basically have like all your friends and, and like, did you visit them often? Like, how was that? I would just remove myself from my normal life and it was just in Mexico. It was really crazy too, because I just made new friends there. Um, actually broke up out of a, how long, it was like a three-year relationship. It was it was necessary anyway. This was like a very nice relationship that was not going where it should be going. Um, and so like that kind of was like a complete life change where I said, all right, I'm leaving Manhattan where I was living at the time, breaking up out of this like pretty comfortable relationship going to Mexico where I didn't really have any real friends yet. I had a couple like poker acquaintances um, mm. and I went to uh, Rosarito had like a couple uh, little areas where there'd be like a hundred poker players in one um, condo complex. And then there was when I, I realized like, I love poker because all of my friends are like going out drinking and partying. And I was just like, Oh, I don't know. There's the nightly like $55 and 162 on stars. I'll, I'll be here. And I just, I found it really easy to just put in a ton of hours. Um, yeah, I forget what even the beginning of that question was, but yeah, that was crazy to move to Mexico. Um, mm -hmm. But also I'm super grateful to have done that in my life because I think at other points in my life, it would be way harder to leave behind everything to do that. And and when did you move back from that place, noticing that there's like other options in the US, like now in Vegas, right? Mm -hmm. um, so when did you decide to move back and there is going to be some way you can find out was it when Nevada opened with uh, WCP.com or was it like some other thing or other reasoning behind it or when you started actually working within poker? Um, like that I got so lucky like this. I still have no idea how they found me because I I think I just got lucky right place right time thing like there was this uh, W Coop main 5k um, mm -hmm. in the fall and I played that and that was like way bigger than I would normally play. Like I would play the Super Tuesday 1K every now and then, but it wasn't like my part of my regular schedule. So to just decide, I want a shot taken this, I wanted, and I sold probably like 70% or something and played it and made a run in it. And I actually cashed like 30K or something like that. Um, flipped for just, I don't even want to think about it. Um, and then it's a few days later and I get a message from Warren Lush and he was working with Party Poker at the time. He said, hey, I saw you play like pretty big online and and like we're we want to have someone come back to new jersey and be like the party new jersey rep um and i was like how do you even find me i wasn't like a twitter person i wasn't putting myself out there at all i just was like grinding a lot um he said yeah if you want to come back and, and help us launch this site that would be really cool i was like yes i'm not going to turn down like a super lucky thing like that um so i actually went back home and also like my family is like, oh great, you're not like living in Mexico forever. Cause they were kind of worried that I might just move there forever. Um, so I went back to New Jersey, helped them launch that site. And I feel like that's when I started to be a little more known because I had to, they're like, make a Twitter account. You have to start, you know, uh, posting more stuff and um, trying to promote this site. 
And then I found out I kind of enjoyed doing that. Like, I think it's fun to try to get more people to play poker um, and to try to commentate and stuff. Like, there's no women. We've no women in poker. It's like 3% or something. So trying to help that out a little bit. Yeah, so you basically um, yeah, found those other opportunities outside of just playing. Did you ever feel like that was somehow making you consider quitting the playing aspect more? Or did you never have like that declining motivation because of seeing other opportunities in poker and you know the social media, the media work that you could do, et cetera? Like, mm -hmm. did you ever consider quitting poker playing? Yeah. Uh, I almost quit a few times. It's really weird. I kind of think that actually like kept me in poker because some of the stuff I work on um, that is your kind of steadier income has to do with poker. I was secretly doing some people's social media and some companies' social media and stuff like that. So I could never make a clean break. Like when I made a clean break from Manhattan and moved all my myself and everything to Mexico, I was like, okay, new life. I can't really do that now unless I want to quit all these little things that are profitable and kind of enjoyable for me. Um, so I feel like it kind of like kept me in poker the times when I was just thinking, okay, it might be time to move on. I'm like, well, am I going to quit all these little jobs that I like? Like, probably not. Mm -hmm. But I see what you're saying, though, because I think some people, um, Chrissy B is a really good example of this. Um, we discussed like the beginning of our poker careers together, and she had said she wanted to make sure she was the best player she could be and did not want to go after sponsorships and things like that. She was like, if I become like the best player, I'll get those things. But I don't want to mm -hmm. be someone who a sponsorship or other income becomes a crutch for your poker career where you might not even be winning. You're just being like, you're having your income supplemented by, oh, come here and take a picture yeah. and, do this and post it. So I think her, um, her attitude is really cool. Mine, I, I never went after sponsorship super hard, but I also didn't turn down opportunities um, that just came with being a poker player and being a female where they're trying to market to females. That's super lucky. And I was just saying yes to all that stuff because I don't know. I, I like her attitude though, because she is a crush. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool to just say like, no, I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm this type of person. I'm happy with myself. If I go lock myself in a closet and grind, I will make money. I don't need to just be like, look, I'm a cute girl. And now patch me. Like she's really like, I look up to her definitely for the way that she has kind of like structured her poker life. Now that you just mentioned that, like, how do you feel personally about that? Um, double-edged sword of being an ambassador and not being profitable. Do you think it's somehow disingenuous uh, towards the poker industry and the players? Not like saying that, look, look, there's like, you're this person, you're making 10K, 15K, 20K a month from sponsorship deals. And you're basically selling the poker dream whilst not being a profitable poker player. Like nobody's actually talking about this in the poker industry. Yeah. I think there's also reasons for that. Like you don't want to actually offend people, right? Mm -hmm. It's like not nice to to go out there and, and like offend some brand, some person because yeah. of actually being that spot. But at the same time, I feel like that's that's actually sometimes very disingenuous. I mean, yeah. What's your take on it? Before I, um, say <laughs> I agree with that if you're selling something that's just not possible anymore, I really think that is scummy. Um, mm. I, I think some of the people who might do it might also be somewhat in denial about being a losing player. I know that I know that there have definitely been times where I've felt like a fraud. I'd say like three years ago, I just wasn't studying. I was trying to get out of poker. I was taking writing jobs that had nothing to do with poker because that's the next thing that I want to be doing. Um, mm -hmm. But then also there'd be like, hey, come play this event and like rep our brand and maybe put out a tweet and do whatever. And, and yeah, well, you'll have a buy-in for this. And I'd be like, okay, I'll do that. But I feel like there's something where you can do that without being um, like a charlatan. If, mm -hmm. if I was walking around saying, oh, I have like a brand new BMW because of my 
like my poker playing, blah, blah. If you are like that, then you're being mm -hmm. a jerk. If you're someone who just takes opportunities and you're not lying um, about all of it, if you're, if you're trying, like, this is kind of where I would draw the line. If you're taking someone in college who's like, I want to be a poker player. It looks so glamorous from what you do. You travel all over the place. You have a nice car and a nice house and all this. And you're like, oh, definitely. Here's my code. Sign up for Poker Bros. You could do it. If you're doing that, you're clearly doing the wrong thing. I think mm -hmm. a lot of the people doing something in between aren't really aware that they are leading people down a bad path. Um, they might not even be aware that they're not making money themselves or that they're, you know, a losing player in a lot of stuff they're they're playing. So I don't know. I hate coming down on people who are just trying to make a living. Yeah, I mean, without like mentioning any names, but I mean, we can just talk about the general behavior that we see out there in the poker industry. And I, I feel very critical about it. Like, you know, there's a lot of people that get it. They see those opportunities, uh, how to make more money for themselves. And they're basically framing it as something so nice. Well, yeah, I'm giving you this affiliate code. <laughs> I'm getting you into this game. How, how great of a, uh, of a person yeah. am I, right? I give you so much opportunity and I only ask for 20 30 percent of your action like <laughs> it's like okay and like are you really doing that for me or like are you just trying to make the most uh, for yourself like yeah it is certainly uh, for me that that's a little bit of sad thing about poker that poker is more moving in that direction it yeah. used to be poker used to be like sit down and play mm -hmm. right back in the old days or just you know, you play and, 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 you know, if you're good, you win. That's, that's all. And right now, a lot of people, I would say more like the bad racks, like break even regulars that they kind of have realized, well, there's not so much in playing poker anymore. So I'd have to either make private games or like try to mm -hmm. shift uh, towards like games where there's no pros. There's just a, a protected area where they can grind or where they can get in people and, and get like a commission cut. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty bad for the game and for the reputation long-term as well, uh, attracting new people. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. I mean, what, how do you feel like, how can we get more people in there when this is more always moving towards this direction? Yeah, uh, it's really hard because like mm -hmm. I can't really, I know exactly what you're saying and it's like hard to be like, well, I would solve the industry by doing this. Um, I think some of the stuff that some of these sites are doing um, is actually the right thing. Like ironically, ACR, which is shady and has all these problems, them getting all those huge um, celebrities to play that charity event, that that brings more people into the game. Like, oh, cool, Matt Damon and Tom Brady are in a hand together. <laughs> you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. That hitting social media is really good. Some of that stuff is good. So then the people who are on ACR, who most of the time I'm rolling my eyes at because they're just like, come play on this site. It's amazing. But I'm like, it's not amazing. It crashes a lot. There's a lot of problems. It's kind of sketchy, you know, that day when they're promoting that event, they're definitely doing the right thing. Like they're getting more eyes on poker um, for a good cause for charity with big names and stuff. Um, I don't know what, what people are supposed to be doing for me anyway. Uh, I think the more I study, the more I love poker again, the less fake I have to be because then I mean it when people say, oh, are you enjoying your grind? Are you, um, like, do you really mean it in commentary when you're like, oh my God, Forest Bay's on the river, so crazy. Like, if you love poker, you mean it. That's not fake. The times in my life when I haven't liked poker and had to do all that, you feel like a fraud. It's, you know, everyone goes through it though. Like, there was at least a year or two where I didn't really like it. And that's kind of where I draw the line. It's like, if the person's being genuine, if someone is like um, shilling for a site, shilling's the most horrible word for it, but say that they're promoting a site, but they believe that site is doing everything right 
and that it's a good site and you could win and the rate yeah. is high and whatever. I don't think they're doing the wrong thing. It's like there are a lot of people who are who know that they're doing bad things for poker and they continue because it lines their pockets and that's kind of I'm never going to do that. Yeah, I, I think that you know I I have so many uh, I have a range of opinions on, on some people out there and and of course like some of it I really respect a lot like the building community aspect but yeah if it's, uh, like shilling the site I think it's often not an honest thing and I yeah the, the thing you said like okay there's always a line between having like an imposter syndrome thing that you're you know like full of it or actually being full of it right mm -hmm. and, and there's always a thin line of where you cross yeah. it um and yes, obviously, you know, who am I to judge, right? I'm like just a poker content creator, poker player myself, like, um, unless the whole industry has this on their radar, which most of the time it's not like, I think about these things, you know, you think about these things maybe, mm -hmm. but right. But, but like a, a general poker player will not necessarily think about it, right? Why mm -hmm. then? Like no incentives for the population to think about it. So therefore not much is, is going to change because it's none of their concerns, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it will be, I think, when poker becomes uh, less and less beatable at some point and when like the numbers are open and when people realize, well, the people who actually make money at poker are the ones promoting the game. And, and yeah. that, that, that's actually where the money's made. But like so far, I think, like you said, when you improve at poker, when you study, when you make money yourself, then you feel much better about the game again mm -hmm. and, and you can promote it. And I think that's still very easily possible on, on a lot of sites, a lot of places. And as long as we are in that, I think that's that's going to continue in that path. Of the, I think. Yeah. 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 You know, like, it would be funny if I was one of those people who's like a shit stir, I could list the people that we're thinking of. Like, there are definitely people who they if you really if you lie detector tested them they know they're saying the wrong thing <laughs> they know that they're not being genuine but also i think there are people um there are a lot of people in poker who have good intentions about poker and, and yeah. a lot of the sponsored people have great personalities and they are good ambassadors for the game i think that there's less of the selling this like glamorous lifestyle too if it was 10 years ago you are watching it on tv where people are just like they're getting rich from poker and clearly living that life and getting bottle mm -hmm. service everywhere and talking about that glamorous lifestyle. I don't think that's being sold to us quite as much anymore besides the fancy travel. No, I, I don't. Yeah. That, that's more like the Instagram influencer thing, right? Yeah. That, that's a more general <laughs> trend. It's not like a poker trend. It's like, mm -hmm. a, yeah. But, but I think the other thing, the only person I really openly criticize but for me, it's just like so blatantly obvious. Plus the fact that he's like a, I probably has like a net worth of at least $40 million, Danny Negrano. I think at that point, I think it's like for me as a content creator, I've almost felt obliged to, to make that content out there. Like um, back when he was like talking about Morik is actually better. Of, oh yeah, he didn't mean exactly maybe in that way, but we phrase it like he was just defending professional poker players, online players. And I think that in general, there's a lot of people also on Twitter that they will shit on these online players. Uh, there's like a the online player stereotype is almost like a villain to the recreationals or there's a isn't that crazy have, 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 you, have you noticed that like yeah. that, that there's this new villain of the online poker wizard like i'm not saying like i'm exactly the, that type of person because there's still a lot of better players like me but mm -hmm. i belong in that category and these are like my colleagues right who yeah. are grinding solvers uh, a lot of times a lot more than me i have done mm -hmm. solo work but uh some you know and there's made this villain out of these people 
Whereas all they're trying to do is become really, really good at poker and, yeah. and in a fair manner, take the money of their opponents, because that's what we all agree to when we play poker. We agree, well, we're going to try to take each, each, each other's money away here. That's, yeah. that's what we're doing, right? Mm -hmm. With a game, with a fair game. So how do you think about that villain? I, I think that that is really unfair. Um, I had a just I'm trying to think of where, where I was. What it might have been a pod. It might have been my own pod. Like my mind is scrambled. I've been studying and playing too much and podcasting and everything. But I had a discussion with someone recently about that. That um, I don't like that we treat certain players. So like the old school pros, those are the ones with the big personalities and they're so exciting and they're great for TV and blah, blah, blah. And then we have this other completely homogenous group, which is the online players and they're all boring and they all are just like nasty people who like wear their headphones and they turn their nose up at people who are worse than them at poker. It's bullshit. Like there, there are like thousands and thousands of people in each group. Um, and some of the smartest people and some of the most interesting people I've met in poker are the ones that work really hard and play online and they can put their heads down and study um, and they're very intelligent. And then they can also figure out that when they get invited to a poker go game where they're playing in a super soft game that they're going to have a drink and they're going to talk to people and they're going to like show their personality off um, because they know that's part of that game too. I just don't think there's this like dichotomy of, oh, the fun people and then the nerdy wizard people. I think that we haven't done our best in poker to develop the, the wizards into real personalities. Um, the poker boom is over. Um, we're not getting everyone's backstories, but I think that is one way to make poker more interesting is to figure out what this person's life is like. Um, mm -hmm. I recently rewatched Two Months, Two Million. Those guys could have been the wizard nerdy people. We saw also that they smash watermelons in their spare time and are terrible at hitting on women. Develop that story. Like, I want to hear that about the people that we think are one-dimensional well, nerds. I, 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 yeah, you mentioned that also in Jeff's podcast. Uh, what, what was that show exactly? Because I, I didn't really look at it yet. If but... you never watched it, oh, God, you're in for a treat. Two months, two million. It was just back in the poker boom, um, four guys. But also, it was like Lucky Chewy got involved and some other, okay. and like A.E. Jones. And they just went and they were trying to have a grindhouse and make a ton of money. Um, but also there are young guys in Vegas going out, having a good time, hitting on girls and just whatever. Just a lot of funny stuff. Those people, if it were now, um, let's compare it. They'd be like, okay, Helmuth is a huge personality and a celebrity. And then you would take someone like Ansky, Donnie Stern, you'd be like, this guy is the online wizard and super boring. No, he's not. That kid is so interesting. He's like a, a very, uh, very, very intelligent person and also just has like a fun personality. We just haven't done anything to develop them. So like, I think I completely agree with you that that whole like the online guy's the villain and he's just boring and terrible for poker and whatever. I'm like, no, we just haven't done enough. So like, I think like, yeah, for example, for example, Vinny Vidi, right? Like mm -hmm. you would, I would actually like to know the guy, like who, who is this guy? Yeah. Who is this guy behind this Vinny Vidi character mm -hmm. who was playing against Phil Gaffon? Like hearing his story and like just losing by such a small margin against Phil in that last epic battle, like, that was such a high moment in poker, um, uh, you know, because, yeah, I, 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 Action Freak, for example, like, of course, I heard from him before, from Benny mm -hmm. Vitti, a little bit less, or a lot less, actually. You know, um, they're friends now, that Benny well, and, and Phil, like, talk on the regular now. Isn't that cute? Yeah, I mean, I, I, no, I didn't hear it yet. But, yeah, uh, I, yeah. I was saying, and I'm like, that is so cool. It's like, 
have a loss that had to be very painful um, yeah. and then become friends with the guy. You're like, oh, well, at least I got a friend out of it. it you know, the real, the real, <laughs> what is that that people say? They're like, the the uh, the real money is the friends we we made along the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's so funny. Like I had this uh, one moment in poker as well. Like I used to play free roles back in 2010 to 2012. And it was this, this one guy, right? And we always used to battle for leaderboard points. And then one time at 8 a.m., 8 p.m., the, the, the tournament started, and he he just crushed me with like six two suited, and mm -hmm. he he just shipped it all in on like or, or he called like a four bet and then and flopped the flush and shipped it in and won it. And I was so mad at him. Obviously, keyboard warrior mm -hmm. back then. And then and then later on, like in some live tournament, he said, "Hey, I'm the six two suited guy or something like that." Oh, that's or, great. I was like, okay, and then we became friends later on. It was like so, so funny, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just so funny how, how poker sometimes develops. Like how online, you know, it can be the opponent, but after that, you know, it's all fine. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, that that is sometimes the interesting part. Like I always like seeing people behind the screen afterwards, um, you know, in in a, in a real tournament and find out who is behind the screen names. I think that's a hilarious part. Like trying to picture somebody and how they actually are based yeah. on their online play style and then yeah. you see them in real and you play with them on the real table and you oh this is not exactly how i would have i would have blown your mind because back <laughs> in the day i was uh i my screen name was and the law one because from the clash song but also i was trying to have something like legal related no one ever thought i was a girl like people in the chat would be like bro this and that and i'd be like not a bro <laughs> no one ever would think that that women were even playing and i thought that was kind of cool that's why i liked online more is that i'm like you find out if you are good at poker or not no one knows if you're fat or skinny male or female any of that and like that's kind of cool and it was funny there were like the keyboard warriors that everyone knew and then you'd meet them in real life and be like this guy's like a totally like normal well-adjusted dude mm. but when yeah. he gets beaten in an mtt that's that's for sure funny um yeah and also i think i can relate to that though that uh, i would assume that most of the time it's just like a guy right you wouldn't think yeah. that it's, it's a girl playing that's just a that's just your default right of, of, yeah uh, yeah, just because it's such a large number of 97 percent 98 percent or something one of my friends i study with the most is another mm -hmm. woman and we always still say he when we're talking about handshake, well he three bets a lot like his three percentage of this we say he and we're both females playing poker so yeah i think you just kind of go with the math of it and you're like well most of the time you're going to be right if you assume yeah. it's a male have you seen phil gaffon make training videos and like talk about uh running one's poker and seeing these avatars he's always so politically correct it's like typical yeah. phil it's like yeah you you know he is like through an oh he or she, or she. Right? <laughs> because he sees like the avatar the female yeah. avatar on the running one spoken it's like or she it's like okay <laughs> that would be so politically correct it's funny, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, those are the spots where i'm like i could not care less like about yeah, the political, yeah. political correctness thing because that tends to be like the most innocent kind of of course, whatever. yeah. yeah. There's, so there's, all, there's other areas where I understand like some people get offended, but there's mm -hmm. also some where it just wouldn't care much. Um, one of the things that you also did a lot is like um, writing content, taking opportunities. Um, for example, you mentioned on our podcast, you've written some of the jokes of the punchlines of, of Doug Polk's videos, right? <laughs> that was a fun job. And he's yeah. kind of out of poker. Um, he He's like a very interesting person because he beats a game and then he's done with it. Like, mm -hmm. that's the best way to describe it, um, that he's kind of interested in the next challenge more than he's interested in, like, standing on top of the mountain and being like, 
I'm the best. Everyone look at me. Like he's a strange dude because he has enough of an ego to want to crush a new field, but not so much of an ego where he just wants everyone to like bow down to him when he's the best at something. Um, and mm -hmm. so he kind of was the best at content creation. His his poker videos, the ones that I would work on with him, they still get an incredible amount of views every day, even though we do not promote it at all um, and and don't make any new videos. There's no like, hey, a new video is up. Everyone come watch this. People are just searching out his like poker hands videos. Um, but that was a really fun job to get offered because some guy on the internet just trolled him on Twitter and said, hey, Doug, you're not funny anymore. Maybe you should hire Jamie and tag me and tags me. And I'm like, I read it. And I'm like, oh, no. Because I thought it was the kind of thing that, you know, this is going to be like negative. Someone's just going to be like, she's not funny, blah, blah, blah. Or Doug's going to be like, ignore it. And I'm going to feel a certain way about it. Instead, he sends me a DM. It's like, what do you think? Like, you have time to do stuff like this? And and uh, we talked about it. And I ended up started, that was like two or three years ago, um, started to just write jokes. And I love it. I think that's the most fun. It's one of the things that um, comes more naturally to me than anything else is just someone even editing people's jokes so I'm, i have a possibility to write on a show if this show takes off i'll be a writer on a real show um and i i read a script and i'm like oh it'd be funnier if it said this instead and that's just a thing where i'm like i really enjoy doing it and i didn't realize it was a thing that i was uniquely good at until i was mm -hmm. asked to do it and then people are like oh that is so much better thanks and i'm like oh that wasn't hard you know like it's weird when you like discover a thing where you're like okay i thought everyone was good at this and then people are like no you're really good at this and like i don't i haven't had that in a long time in poker i don't feel like that at all i don't feel like i'm uniquely good at anything in poker um i'm always talking to people who are better than me at it so to find something where i'm like i enjoy doing it and and people tell me i'm good at it i'm like oh that feels really good so you're saying that we should blame you of um you know throwing alec torelli and and, <laughs> and other other guys in poker under the bus Yes, probably. Um, actually, like I, I was talking to one of my friends about this. I feel like if anything, I tempered that some of the responses, like, you know, because there are certain things are if it's funny enough, it's less mean. You know, mm -hmm. if you're going to pick on someone, but it's really funny, I can appreciate it. Like some people troll me on Twitter now and then if they say you're fat, that's like so lazy. If you pick on something and make it funny, I, you know, those people don't get blocked or muted. Cause I'm like, Fair point. And I kind of feel like that with Doug's videos is that we try to find the humor and stuff instead of just being nasty to people. Um, and that was very satisfying. And then the flip side that there was crypto and we entered the crypto world, we went after people hard. And that was actually really satisfying because people were actively scamming. They were uh, mm. like the BitConnect scandal. We like were a week ahead of the actual um, like basically Ponzi scheme being discovered and that I just went hard at people. Cause I'm like, you are stealing money from people. Like we're going for the nasty jokes here. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I wrestled with that a little bit though. Cause there were people like we went after Berkey for one video. It was just a hand history. Who cares? But I'm like writing a joke about Berkey. I'm like, <laughs> like, I like Berkey. I don't want to make fun of him. But also it's like, if you're making when you fold the nines, when you fold the nines, there was, yes, I think that, that hand. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But also it's like making fun of the way a person played a hand it's not that deep. I'm not yeah. like going after him, you know, in, in some like real way. But also I was happy when the poker part ended because I don't, I don't like the two-facedness of like writing a joke about someone and then also really liking that person. Yeah, there's a, that is actually really tough probably to do, like to be not mean, but like, I, I also appreciate some people making fun of me. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> actually, 
Yeah, I mean, there's good moments. Right? I yeah. have uh, I have some people that that they. I mean, it depends always on how they do it, right? Mm -hmm. Like if, if they actively trying to hurt me and, and in some way, and and it's it's totally obviously that not bad at that part. But there are some people they they make fun jokes, and it's like it's okay, yeah. that's fair game. Yeah. Um, it always depends on how it comes across, I think, and and how how the intention is behind it and some people that just can't help themselves like you know the youtube haters and they're just keyboard warriors putting like stuff in there they just can't help themselves you know they don't know yeah. it any better that you know they might be frustrated in their lives and it's more telling something about them than about you anyway so mm -hmm. um but yeah that's uh that's <laughs> I, think so I did some things that were good too i think that you know sometimes we were probably a little harsh with some people who just played a hand bad and it get it kind of heaps bad attention on them if they just play it and like that kind of sucks and i've actually been there too uh, one of the first like televised hands i ever played um i bluffed into the royal flush of jason somerville when he was the most famous poker player on the planet and yeah. oh my god it felt like it, it was horrible because i would just get these random messages and i'm just like okay i played a hand bad this is a bad hand of poker I'm over it, but then you get reminded of it a lot. So I didn't enjoy that part where I felt like I was heaping that on certain people where I'm like, yeah, they just played a hand bad. They shouldn't have to answer for it for a month. And yes, making mm -hmm. a video like brought more attention to that. But then I really thought that some of the things that Doug wanted to focus on were good for poker that mm -hmm. like you're kind of going after people who are um, like, I felt like he was punching up sometimes for some of the biggest name pros who were doing shitty things. And I, I kind of think there was some value to that and that, you know, and I know it's cost me some jobs I've, I've found out um, to have worked for him. But I also think doing the thing that you think is the right thing to do mm. is worth a lot. And I, I've felt pretty, I, I don't think I've taken any jobs or I don't think I've worked for people I don't respect. So like in poker, I'm like fine with how it's shaking out. Because actually, I, was, I I thought about it like, well, what's it, what's what's the budget that I have to have to hire? You know, <laughs> because I, I wanted to make some videos that are a little bit meaner, um, mm -hmm. that are a little bit pointing out the, the shit that's happening in poker, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, I just wanted to make them like in a certain way that, that it hits the it's the nail on the coffin. It's it's mm -hmm. it's um. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some stuff out there, like, for example, poker courses. Like, I have started a new series called, like, Online Poker, and then I try to talk about online poker and what's happening in the space. Mm -hmm. And then, like, one of the video ideas I have, like, to talk about whether you should be buying a poker course. And, uh, you know... You're going to go after specific um, courses? I'm not sure. I'm not sure because, uh, like, I've I've seen a lot of what's out there. I think a lot of it is actually overpriced by quite a bit, okay. and a lot of it is like the marketing is a little bit disingenuous, right? It's it's just like way over the top. It's promising you certain things that's really not doing for you, and and like a lot of recreational players, like I sometimes talk to them, like, yeah, I, I thought about buying like this course, and like, dude, like, okay, what what are you what are you trying to get out of it? And and then. Yeah, they basically, yeah, they just got this satisfaction when they bought a course, but right? there's not really much I know in that, that I for had them. a discussion with one of my friends who mm -hmm. uh, the casino near him closed, and that was a place that was his gold mine. And he's more of like a, uh, a person with a real job who loves poker. And he's like, well, if I want to play online, I'm going to have to get a lot better. I think I'm going to buy X course. And it was this very expensive course that, you know, if you're just a random dude who plays one, two, live why are you going to spend multiple thousands of dollars when you can just do the work yourself like mm -hmm. if you're at that level where you're like not very good and you're kind of new to poker you're probably better off just doing some work yourself first um just literally going over hand ranges you should be opening and three betting and like different different positions 
you probably can sit for 10 hours and do that and then decide if you want to buy that course or do something else. But I think that you're right with that, that some people get the satisfaction of like, I spent a bunch of money on this. I have these big name pros talking at me. This is the right thing to do to learn poker. And I, I think a lot of the time it's just, it's like a little bit lazy um, and there's not a lot of thought put into it where you, you really could probably make your own study schedule yourself for no money. Yeah, the, I mean, sometimes I, I think about what I should uh, tell them. Like, there's actually, a st I don't think there's many great poker books out there, but um, there's there's just some content out there that's actually Ooh. fairly cheap. I'll find oh. you one right now. I know one, but uh, <laughs> which one? This is my friend, Brokus. <laughs> okay. Um, it's good. It's a good book. Mm -hmm. Like, before you go spend 5K on a course, read it. Like, it, what did I spend? Uh, how much is this like book? Probably $40 or yeah, something. 20, 20 something. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it's things like that, where you're like, if you're wrong, you've wasted five hours and 20 bucks. <laughs> you know, if you're wrong about mm. buying a course, you've wasted thousands of dollars mm. and you might've watched a person talk for like 40 hours. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's such so hard to actually make those decisions so that the piece of content I want to make will be also not it will be really tricky because in a way you don't want to be too frugal to invest in your poker game. Like mm -hmm. it is important that you think of poker as some investment in some form, but then, you know, you also don't want to just, you know, spend like 1K, 2K on courses and just buy yeah. them and then just not use them. And you really want to make sure you pick the right product. And there's, there's obviously nobody really criticizing the products out there that much. So yeah. to, to, to tell you like what, what you should be careful. As so, long as yeah. you're fair, as long as you're mm -hmm. fair and you don't have like biases against certain people, I feel like that's super useful. Um, I also think like I've, I've told people that uh, I think upswing is a good jumping off point. Um, and then I think run at once is really good for like specific things you want to tweak. Like mm -hmm. I think run at once would be hard if you're brand new. Cause it's just like a lot of the stuff is really dense and like very, uh, well, you have to have some basis yeah. first. But I also think that that it's inexpensive. Well, they, they, have, they have like two beginner courses too, like or okay. mediocre, like for $50 or something. So yeah. that's, that's actually price point wise, a lot, lot lower, yeah, more affordable for, Whereas others courses like at least six, seven hundred dollars, yeah. and, and there's, there's some subscription-based um, things out there. Um, so yeah, there are maybe, you know, where you can test out and see whether you get the value, right? There's some twenty-five dollars, some some hundred dollars. That's and, the one and, uh, Ryan yeah. Laplant. Ryan Laplant just started mm -hmm. one. I know um, I haven't taken it. I don't know much about it except that, much that, about is, it either, but, that yeah. is what he's doing, like with all his time, and he's a super driven dude. And mm -hmm. the price point is low, so that's another thing where it's like if the price point's low, maybe that person speaks to you. Spend the twenty-five and see if that person is like going to help you. And then with with run it once and like if I there's almost no other course where you could say. I'm bad blind versus blind in this scenario. Let me look up if someone has done a course. And that's why I think run at once is valuable is that you can find specific things that you suck at <laughs> and, and work on it where I don't think, I think most other courses are like a little more general. So mm. I don't know. I think that would be really cool if you did it like that, if there was like no um, malice behind it and you just went through and highlighted the things that are great about certain courses and, and like gave them a ranking on what they give you versus the, money spent. I think there's a way to do it where you don't end up being the villain. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there, there, there's, there's a lot of aspects to it for sure. Like I'd, I'd have to think about it even a little bit longer for, before I make that kind of content. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, people are so sensitive. They're so sensitive. I like, I've discovered this through commentary that I, I make the mistake of assuming that, that people are going to have mm -hmm. the same 
skin density as me with like being thick or thin skin. And so I'll just talk about people on a stream thinking this person can handle this amount of criticism or this amount of joking. I'm wrong. I'm super wrong because I didn't realize that I'm like pretty chill and go with the flow with the things people say about me or my game. Because a guy had sent me, I want to say 25 Facebook messages straight of every hand he played at a final table and an explanation of why. And I was like, dude, I'm, I'm very sorry, but I was just giving my opinion. And he's like, well, here's why I didn't three bet the Jacks in this spot. I was like, oh my God, oh, like people take themselves so seriously. So you might end up in that spot where you like fairly review a course and the person put their heart and soul into it and you'll be the villain in their life for the next several years, you know? <laughs> um, Raghav is here joining us in chat. Yes, we are looking at the questions. Like if it's specifically about uh, PLO and bankroll management, I think there's another place for that. But if you have any questions <laughs> for Jamie here, uh, feel free to ask away. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I don't think we're gonna go too much into bankroll management in PLO, unless you have like some bankroll. Do you have any bankroll management tips for the guys? What if I just like yeah. answer it as if I'm an expert and I'm really just- Yeah, yeah. let's go. Well, it's very important to have only 1% of your bankroll on the table at all times. I have no idea. I'm an MVP person. <laughs> I, yeah, I generally think always I make the point in my videos and on content that I think bankroll management is important, but a lot of people, because the question gets come up all the time, overvalue it in, in one way or they, they spend too much time thinking about it. Like it's really, you go to pokodope.com, you plug in the numbers and you see what can happen. And you mm -hmm. try to limit your risk of ruin to something like zero to 5%. And then when you're at the risk of ruin that you're comfortable at, then uh, yeah. So uh, Peter is asking, what was the price hiring Jamie for, for that? Like, yeah, you probably kind of put, it up, put out the numbers that, that you were paid. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like each one, that's something though. Oh man, that's something I never thought I'd have to do is like negotiate with people. I hate oh, it. Yeah. It is the worst. Cause a lot of the times that it, it happens, it's someone that I'm somewhat friends with asking me to do some favor and it's mm. weird like let's say that you're making videos um and you want help one time writing a joke zero dollars if you're like oh yeah. man i have a really Sorry. good thumbnail that'd be funny but do you think this sounds good zero but then there are people who will take that and be like every day here's another question i'm like that doesn't cost zero like that's now taking my time up and that is an uncomfortable thing that i wish i could get used to is like negotiating mm. for my own value yeah. Do you get a lot of messages from people like trying to to get uh, you to do certain things and like answer questions and uh, like where you think, well, you know, for me, for example, there's like at, at some point I draw the line and say, well, this is what you, you know, you get into coaching. Like right now I don't have time for coaching, but like in, mm -hmm. in one, two months when the Corona crisis is a little bit over, then I will have time again. Uh, I am more than happy to answer some of the questions, especially when they're on a YouTube video, because then everyone can see it, everyone can get some value yeah. from it if they see it, or in a Discord or just somewhere public. But if they have like private questions that are for themselves, and, and yeah, yeah, I might answer and you know, help out a little bit here and there. But you know, my time there is also at some point I have to say no, and that's something I needed to learn. Yeah. I don't like it, but bad. yeah. Yeah, I like I learned that a little bit from Doc too, like listening to him and his mm -hmm. mindset to that. Like he's really, really straight and but like he said, look, here's the end. Here I'm not gonna go down that rabbit hole. Like I'm not going yeah. to help you promote your stuff if you try to do trick me and, and stuff like that. I, I'm mm -hmm. not gonna do that. Um so I, I think that Doc's fair on point on, on that in, in many ways. Mm -hmm. So I, I learned from him and, and how to to deal with that, even though I obviously don't have many, like uh, too many people um asking. Mm -hmm. But like uh, the other part of negotiating is, is also true. Like, um, 
you have to develop your own skill set of negotiating with people yeah. and say, okay, well, how, how much do you charge? And um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's certainly not easy. It's a, it's a weird thing too. Uh, and I, I feel like guys probably somewhat feel like this, but I think it's a little bit more pronounced for women that we don't want to come across as pushy. Um, and you don't want to come up, you don't want to make the person you're going to be working for not like you. Like that's the thing I think about when I'm negotiating with someone, but at the same time, it's like, well, that is why there's probably more of a pay gap than there should be for certain things. Mm -hmm. And so I have had that in the back of my mind that like, don't make the problem worse. If you think you're worth more, ask for it. The worst that can happen is they say no. If they don't like you because you think you're worth more per month to write, that's their, they suck then, right? If there's, mm -hmm. if you're not asking for something crazy, um, then there's no reason the person should leave a negotiation not liking you anymore. But that is in the back of my head when I'm like pushing a little bit. Yeah. For what I, I think it's fairly easily easy to ask yourself too many questions. And that, that I have done that a lot as well with like with some people that, uh, you know, when doing commentary or something, then yeah, I, sh I shouldn't think like too much about it. If I, if I want a certain amount, uh, mm -hmm. then I have to ask for it. And if not, then it's a no and it's, it's all good. So, um, Ragaf is asking in the chat, like, do you think, uh, you also had some opinions on another podcast when, whether online poker boom is, uh, is over when, um, COVID lockdown will end and, and how, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, you said like something about people have lost what they ever wanted to lose in the U S or I think so. First yeah. I think that the first couple of weeks were clearly going to be the the juiciest weeks where, where people who have still have leftover money that they're not spending on entertainment. Like these are people who maybe would have spent money um, on concerts and sports and things that there's just nowhere to spend money right now. Um, so they still had their feeling of job security at that time and expendable income. Um, and they had time to play poker finally. So there are those people. I think some of those people at least got smacked down like, oh man, poker's so much harder than it used to be. And they realized that they hit a stop loss of whatever it was and they stopped playing. So like, it just makes sense the first few weeks would be the best. Um, I think also that when, when people aren't feeling financially secure, this is not a spot people will spend money. Um, if they don't know if they have jobs to go back to, they don't know how the economy is doing, uh, you know, if stocks are down, if Bitcoin is down, all that different stuff those people will fall out of the poker economy. Um, I just think, yeah, I, that's why I played so many days straight. I just felt like this is going to be really good for a little while. And then I have no idea. I'm not, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just guessing uh, like everyone else. Um, and I, I think that there is a new, a renewed interest in poker though, that um, there's so many people playing on apps and stuff um, that were mainly just random live players. They would play live once or twice a week. And now they're on apps all the time. And it's become a thing that's like part of their life. So I don't think everyone's going to quit when COVID is over. I think some of these people will stick around, but I don't, I think we're lying to ourselves and we say, oh, the first week is amazing. And in a year it'll be amazing. I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think that some people will stick around in online poker and for online poker specifically it might have not been the worst thing. It has created a little bit of boom, but mm -hmm. yeah, in the, in the end, I don't know how many, like people are already back to life poker, Florida and some other places. You see that or? Blows my mind. I, like, I feel very strongly about this. So maybe I might lose some people who might've liked the beginning of this pod, but I feel very strongly that that is not smart. Like we don't even know, like every week that goes At by- At least not in the US, right? Or, yeah, the, and some of the spots are, are hot spots for the virus right now. Like I just don't understand. Um, 
And look, poker rooms, I understand that, that every, I, I'm in a really good spot. So I have to keep remembering that, that the reason I don't feel pressure to go back and do all these like dangerous things is because I'm not bored. I have so much stuff to work on and I have like a, all my time is invested in stuff I want to do and I can make money right now. So like I, you know, I have to just like take it with a grain of salt, my, my own thoughts, because mm -hmm. I think some people are desperate for their life, life to feel normal, to have purpose, to, you know, make money, um, to get out of the house and all that other stuff. So not faulting the people individually for, um, for wanting to go play live poker, but I just wish we could wait a couple more months because <laughs> I think that we'll know more about this. Um, we'll like, we'll know how dangerous it is to be touching the same chips and cards and everything. And also, um, it puts people who would maybe be collecting unemployment in a really, really bad spot. So like, say there's a dealer with kids or with like elderly people and living in their house, like their parents or something. I think in some states, this takes away their ability to collect unemployment. Their job is available to them again. So then they're in a spot where they can't collect unemployment and they have to go work a dangerous job they don't want to work. And that that's what makes me feel really bad. And like, if those people are being forced to do that instead of getting government assistance, that is really sad because it's just poker. Like. Live poker, it's like, uh, there's people playing one, two for 15 bucks an hour. I wish that our government would go, here's the 15 bucks an hour, stay home and be healthy. Hmm. Yeah, I, especially I think it's like you do, yes. Compared to like, for example, here, I Austria is a little bit late behind Switzerland. Like Switzerland has the gyms open again. Austria doesn't. Yeah. Like I even still mm -hmm. have to wait two weeks or another mm -hmm. week or two. Oh, are you going to go? In two weeks? Yeah, we, we have, uh, Jamie, we have like, 20, 30 people every day that, that might still get like the coronavirus. Like it's uh, all, all across the country. Like it's at some point, I think it's, it's yeah, ridiculous. Like the restaurants are open again in Austria. Austria and Switzerland is really good right now. So it's, it's quite stable, but um, I've also seen like a lot of people at the, at the lake. So, you know, it might break out again. Um, we're going to find out. Uh, and of course, like if, if there's like another wave then I stay at home, but, but uh, I, I think with so few people at some point, I think the risk just goes down so much and, you know, and you're uh, young and healthy, like that, yeah. I mean, that's the case too. Uh, some of the pictures I was seeing though, it was like older players are playing. Mm -hmm. I just like, I don't know. It's like our health is super important. I think people just mm -hmm. have that feeling of being invincible and we're just not like I had one of my friends dad died from it. And it's okay. like, it's horrifying and it became super real to me. And then I just started worrying about my own family because they're in New Jersey mm -hmm. and New Jersey is like one of the worst states for it right now. And I, I don't know, it just seems like if the more real life connections you have to it, the more frivolous it seems to just mm. go play a game or like go to the gym. But that's because yeah. it's unsafe right now in the US in a lot of places. Yeah, I mean, I, I just look at the numbers and see, okay, well, like, okay, at what point am I realistically trying to take chances here? Like, I didn't visit my parents for like two months. And then now last, uh, last week or so, I've seen them again, like a week ago. But it's because, you know, it was a reasonable thing for me to do again. I, I, th I thought that I looked at numbers, well, they're fair, I can go across the border because I have a Swiss passport and I live in Austria. So they will let me back and forth. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was reasonable. And, and uh, I also like, I think my my father, you know, he wouldn't have the easier, uh, he wouldn't have the strongest immune system, so he might be also slightly at risk. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't want to, you know, put him at risk, right? So I, I thought it was, but but I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't speak the same for for like the U.S. and especially many of these cases where there's a dense population and so yeah. on. It, it's just a different thing for for sure. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say in general we could do to get more um, people and especially women into poker? You've been asked this question probably a lot of times, but maybe we'll go into some dialogue about that. Um, 
it's fine that I get asked it a lot because it made me think about it a lot. And it's just uh, mm. people want this magic bullet that, oh, if we market in this way, we're going to get women in the door. And I don't think that's true. I think they've done little things that help. Um, the Royal Flush Girls thing that like Kate Hall kind of latched, latched onto when when it was when it was like that at WPT, um, it would be like hot women in like tight outfits doing the thing like presenting it and and I think that matters a little to making people feel like oh this is not for you this is like a man's game they even changed it and they have like the royal flush fresh flush crew and it's they're more acting as like hostesses and and making content and doing all this stuff um I feel like companies that have been called out for certain little like sexist things have really made an effort um to advertise mm -hmm. a little bit better to, to like more people than just men so that's really cool I think that's a step in the right direction um, I think it's awesome that um, there are more women in roles. Like this is part of the reason I enjoy doing commentary, despite like the ugh, feeling of like putting yourself out there and maybe not even being like I'm not like a super expert at poker. So I know some people would rather have a GTO person in that role than ha listening to me. But also, um, I think there's some value in having a woman talk about poker and be like, "Hey, I play this. I take it seriously. I'm not a model. I don't like this is this is a game I actually love playing." Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, I think there are more groups of women studying together recently. I've gotten oh, yeah. into little things and like I taught a seminar once and it was a uh, it was super cheap. It was just trying to get people in the door to um, to start playing. Mm -hmm. Thirty women showed up. I think the average age is probably fifty years old. There there is a move in the right direction, and I mm -hmm. think um, I think a lot of it is just having uh, having sponsored pros like Chrissy. Chrissy is like a super legit poker player. It, and it's not just based on her looks. That's very helpful um, in just setting an example of like it can be done. You can get to this point. Uh, there's a lot. There's just so many factors. Um, just at the table, I haven't gotten treated poorly in a really long time. It's pretty cool that you know I don't yeah. get the um, oh if you're playing, who's watching the kids? Blah blah like those kind of comments. I haven't heard dumbass comments like that in a while. Um, I think people are just getting better at realizing that like a woman sitting at your table is not a unicorn. Like you're going to see this once in a while. It's not as much of a novelty as it used to be. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. I think things I, might be too optimistic, but I think things you, are, are in the right direction right now. Do you know uh, talent chick, uh, Adrian? Mm -hmm. Also, yeah, she's, I think with her stream and everything, you know, having a kid, I think that also probably yep. that was great because uh, whether you know, you liked seeing a kid on stream or not, maybe some people didn't like the baby crying, but, but I thought that that was just like a relatable person, you know, to see it. Uh, and a woman that, that, you know, yep. has a kid and is actually playing online poker that is just making it more normal. Right. I think yeah. making it very, very normal in the eyes of the public is, mm -hmm. is one big aspect of that. Yeah. yeah, and some women in poker have gone on to just crush other things. Like Jen Chadi, maybe not the best example because she was already crushing things <laughs> in mm -hmm. chess and everything, but she's an amazing ambassador for women in poker um, to just be like focusing on the mind sport aspect of it um, instead of highlighting that she's good looking. Like that's just a side effect. You know, you're like, oh, she's also cute. It doesn't, you know, that's not the main thing. Um, and then Liv Moré, who like obviously is a model and all this stuff, but like she is like brain forward. It's like that is the first thing you're met with is like this girl is really brilliant. Um, and she was an amazing ambassador for poker. I think she did a lot of good for poker before kind of stepping away. Um, I think all these things combined to just, you know, give the right example of women in poker were I think 10 or 15 years ago, it really was like all the people who were patched were models first. Um, you know, like that kind of thing is is 
it's whatever. Don't, I don't want to take away people's jobs. Like I think the Royal Flush Girls are cool. I like yeah. I think that they deserve their jobs and everything. I just am happy when they're also hosting or, or like doing creating content and doing other things, um, so that it becomes less of the like you have to look good yeah. to have a job in poker as a woman. Like that's I mean, kind of let's 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 not kid ourselves. Like the EV that comes from hiring models in poker mm -hmm. um, that are then you know being patched up. It, it is for the guys, right? That's not exactly. for that's women. Not Obvious, obviously, yeah. obviously, that's so just like, well, you know, it's it's selling the experience to guy. Like, yeah, if you're gonna play at a poker uh, table, you're gonna have these girls playing at the poker table <laughs> with you too. Do you want to yeah. participate? This is the buying, right? This is this is what what the selling point is. There's nothing mm -hmm. to do with like you know having a, a female representative uh, in poker. It's just not not right. the point at all. So. I think yeah that the other thing that they seeing regular people at home just playing online poker. I think Twitch is a is a great Twitch platform for great. that. A um, lot of women dabble in Twitch and that's really cool because it's just mm -hmm. um, my friend Haley. It's so funny because like all these women I keep bringing up, I, I there are they are attractive, but that's not their whole thing. Um, and like uh, Haley Hodge Settler is a, a girl I met for, through Run Good Gear. We would go to events and stuff like that. She's streaming on Twitch, but she's taking poker seriously. You know, there, she could also have followers if she just sat there and was like, I put on makeup and I'm cute, but she's not doing that. And I, mm -hmm. I give a lot of credit to these people who are like not taking the easy route or like trying to get sponsorships before they know how to play. Um, I think there's like a lot of really good women in poker, a lot of really smart women in poker. And I think the tides will turn eventually. I, I doubt it'll ever be anywhere approaching 50-50 men and women in poker. But no, even if you have got, got to 10%, like overcoming all this societal crap that makes you feel like you shouldn't be gambling and all that, and maybe even biological stuff, like, uh, you know, testosterone makes people more risk, take, they want to take more risk mm -hmm. and everything. Um, but yeah, I don't think it should be 3%. I don't think our brain differences and chemical differences would make it 97. Explain for that 97.3. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, there's this certainly, um also the the force of people's opinions that will weigh mm -hmm. on that and and polarize it even more the support um, system too yeah. uh, like it's very rare for a, a woman to be um yeah i live with five other poker players in a grind house and we study every day that's not really like that's not normal i, I was lucky i moved to rosarito and i lived with two guys um mm -hmm. we each had our uh, our own thing like one was doing PLO all the time Ben Yu was one of them Ben Yu was grinding magic way more than he was grinding poker at the time but he was someone if I said what oh you know, Benny Ben Yu do you know Ben Yu little Asian dude who's like the nicest guy he plays really big mm. uh, he'll play the 50k players championship and stuff like that okay um, but he I, was I, uh, yeah I made a lot of magic the gathering people I mm -hmm. also used to play magic the gathering but I was never that good I was I was like um, maybe regional level or something mm. like Switzerland, right? Um, but uh, I never participated in the bigger events. Um, but I, I enjoyed those card games as well. And there's also, uh, it, there's so many great Magic players that then went into having poker careers. Isn't that and, crazy? And, or, yeah. Or both, and they, they would crush it in both. It's so, mm -hmm. um, there's also one of the commentators uh, recently, um, let me just think. Now, I, I just... Uh, yeah, I just dropped the name, but he was also commentating with me. Um, Jesus, I, I should just remember <laughs> what's the name. Also, Ryan Wan's coach, uh, fellow Ryan Wan's coach, was also playing oh. uh, Magic the Gathering. Okay, um, I just commentated with uh, Richard Gaylor, and he was a big StarCraft guy. Like, there's people yeah. who kind of dominated some other strategy thing and then went on to like dominate poker. It's like whatever part of their brain lights up when they do strategy stuff lights up for poker, too. And it's, it's kind of interesting that. Uh, 
there's been a lot of crossover between um, like other strategy games and poker. I never really did. I was a sports person, so maybe that's why I'm not dominating. Like I have the competitive part that makes me want to study, mm-hmm. but I wasn't really like some strategic thinker in some other game growing up. Would you say that this, this stunning strategy is just like, I feel like that's not so attractive to women, like studying strategy, mm-hmm. like, okay, you see that if you talk to uh, Jen Chatty, as uh, she's saying, mm-hmm. she's teaching girls how to play chess um, yeah. and, and trying to empower women to play mm-hmm. chess more and be more strategic. So, um, but apart from that, like, yeah, it is something that's not cultivated in schools and society that yeah, mm-hmm. strategy, like, the art of war in, in some sense, yeah. right? It's yeah. like a man's game. Yeah, and just to, like to use my one life sample size as, as an example, mm-hmm. um, I was like very much math oriented. Like I took AP calculus when I was mm-hmm. in high school and I still found my way into an English and psychology major instead. I feel like mm-hmm. that's weird. Like I don't think that that part was nurtured in me. Like clearly I could have done it myself. Like I could have said, doesn't matter if I'm not expected to be in the like STEM type of classes. I'm gonna go dominate this. I wasn't like that, I was 17. I'm just like, okay, I guess I, like, I'll go do this thing. And, and I was in classes with mostly women with like English and psychology. Whereas if I had taken STEM classes, I probably would have been in the minority in those classes. Um, so there is something that happens and I don't know, like I was, I was oriented towards that kind of math thing. Um, and I, I got away from it somehow. I fell through the cracks at 17 to go do the typical girl stuff instead. Uh, and it's cool seeing Jen who hasn't like Jen is playing, you know, she's done strategy games for a living pretty much. And she like edits chess websites and she's a super famous chess person. She's written chess books. Uh, it's cool to know people like that. Cause I'm like, okay, you kind of like stayed the course for the thing that you were very good at instead of letting pressures kind of like take you off that yeah. path and, and lead you toward jobs that were more female oriented. Yeah, I think there, there's just a, such a huge pull, and these are obviously then going to be the remaining exceptions that, that survived all these pulls. So mm-hmm. they try to pull them out of there, yeah. out of their path. And yeah, I mean, there, there's so many smaller studies that, that hint towards that, you know, there's obviously a lot of biological differences between men mm-hmm. and women, but there's, there's going to be just some things that, uh, yeah, you get, um, you get, uh, yeah put into like your your like even the whole climbing like um girls would would like to climb trees right but yeah <laughs> often going to be protected from uh from their pair or by their parents that they don't pursue those things right uh, early on already and that mm-hmm. just even the first 10 years of their lives the, they will be vastly different because of um how the parents let them or don't let them for sure um, i was so uh, my dad passed away kind of young which is super depressing okay. but uh he was someone who was a super amazing influence on my life for having me mm-hmm. be like um just exposed to all the stuff that i felt like doing there was no oh this is like a girly activity you're gonna do this um i had t-ball I played t-ball with my friends so i made friends with like little six-year-old boys when i was six and then at age nine they have you split off nine years old there's softball and there's baseball and all of my like school friends who are girls were going to go play softball but i said well my t-ball friends are boys and they're playing baseball and i want to play baseball and he's like okay you play baseball so for like a couple years when i was young um, I stuck with my friends who were boys because I like liked them and played baseball and it was not a thing. My dad wasn't like, nope, this is how it works. Like you do this mm-hmm. and this is like, and I thought that was like very progressive for someone 30 years ago to realize that oh, I'm going to let my kid like be a kid. There's no reason to like gender your kid and push them into certain activities that will make you feel more, more comfortable with what they're doing. So I played every single sport and he coached some of my sports. Um, 
and it you know and he didn't drive my brother to do that my brother wasn't as athletic and so it wasn't well you're a boy you better get good at football or something there was none of that so like that was pretty cool to you know now i feel like that's parents know to be more um open-minded mm -hmm. the things that their kids are skilled at but back then i was like that's pretty awesome that my dad didn't try to push me one way or another yeah, I think that in the end, obviously, there is books on parenting, but parenting is a, is a really tough thing because I would expect it like, you know, you have your own life still or, and then you try to manage or maybe you shouldn't try actually to manage that much and, and try to let more happen uh, with the kids and, and the, the natural development and, and have some faith in that the kids will turn out well. Um, mm -hmm. Back when I was teaching also in, in that one year, I thought that there yeah, some parents, they just you know, they, they wanted it so badly for their kids, like yeah. uh, that they succeed in a certain aspect. They would come and negotiate about certain things and how certain things are going to go. And I had to learn as, as a teacher that you kind of have to just set boundaries to that uh, as well and say, look, it's going to be fine, even though. And then who are you? Like, you're, you're this, I don't know, I was like 26 year old. They're talking to like some 40, 50 year old parents and like, you know, they're, they're going to be fine. Trust me, you know? So yeah, like, okay. and like, trust me, I'm guessing as well, but good luck. Yeah, yeah. but but most of the time it's going to be like that. If, if people are just obsessively trying to control um, their kids, I think that's just not the way to go. And just giving them the opportunities to to also fail is is really important and, and and many people many parents i think they're just they're, they're trying too hard to not let their kids fail and in the end yeah. will exactly to succeed at something else like that could just be mm -hmm. it you're pushing them towards the thing you want them to be good at maybe their brain's not oriented that way yeah it, yeah in the, in the end um yeah that leads to to a lot of gender differences and mm -hmm. i mean yeah uh so what do you think uh, I, I think that in the end also this whole um getting women to poker is also going to help getting more people into poker. Because I think that when you talk about poker with a lot of people, mm -hmm. the fact that we got half the population almost excluded from the from the game, yeah. or up to about 3% uh, is going to make a conversation about the game extremely difficult. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, if, maybe if you bring up soccer to, to around friends, like maybe even there it could be difficult to talk about it um, because it's still polarizing number there too. But but I think it's it's yeah it's obviously accepted and it's not gambling it's it's something else. So mm -hmm. yeah, but but then I feel like that that would help the entire industry a lot. Um, so that it, it would help the games like women do and like this is all on average. So like I'm I'm kind of stereotyping women right mm -hmm. now, but I think on average women are a little friendlier and chattier at the table. Um, and so that is what we're looking for, right? We're looking for uh, rec players to have a little more fun um, and not mind losing. That's like a big part of our game when it's a zero-sum game. Like you have to have some people who don't mind losing um, if we want to make money and, and be able to do it professionally. And the more times I've played with the women, um, I'm not super chatty at the table. I'm open to conversation, but I'm not the person who's like, we are going to make this fun and blah, blah. I'm like, no. But if someone talks to me, I'll talk to them. The, the more times I've played with women, I feel like I've had a, a better time. Um, I feel like they are the person who turns to the guy next to them is like, oh, so what do you do? And like, whatever. And, and like kind of starts that conversation. Um, and I think that's really valuable. I think, uh, you know, I think that more, more things get brought to the table when there's a woman or where there's just different people playing. Um, and I, I, I do think that it's a subject that's getting like beaten into the ground of like, how do we get more women to play? But I don't think like a concerted effort has been made 
um, yeah. by advertisers and companies to actually make it happen. And you know, there are people like I don't know. I've talked thousands of hours probably about this with my female friends about like, oh, how did you get into it, and like, why are you still into it? Um, and like some of the ones who aren't crushing, some of the ones who are in a similar position to me were like, you make some money, but you would clearly make more money doing something else. Like you have a degree in something else, but you mm -hmm. love poker. Why do you love poker? How do you stay in this game? How hard is it to get in and stay and, and all this? Um, and like there, there should be more going on to like yeah. get, get women marketed to, because I don't know, I like, there's a chance I would have backed out from the beginning. I remember the first time buying chips at a casino I didn't even know where to go or where to sit or who to ask and all this stuff. Um, and with the added feeling of people looking at you because you clearly are new, they would have mm -hmm. known you. And this little five- People hate that. People know. hate that feeling, right? It doesn't yes. matter. But, and especially if you're not like a woman and you're sitting down at a table, it's probably even more uncomfortable at first. And everyone looking at you and for whatever reason, right? Uh, just because you're new and then you're a woman, and it's like okay, uh, that they could make you really feel alienated right away. Um, That's what I think. I think yeah. there probably are some women who mm. tried it and felt look like icky, didn't want to be uh, the center of attention at that table or something. Like you know, there are people who try it once and just go like, this is not for me. I think there's a smaller um, that there's an additional barrier to entry there where you can't kind of just anonymously go sit at the table, play, decide if you like it or not. And I know this from from um, teaching my mom how to play and and sitting with her and like having her be at the table and like the the concerns that she expressed were so different from any guy friends I've had who've gotten into poker. For her, it was very much about like how she felt socially, um, how she felt about the people at the table, how she got treated, all this stuff. She won the first time she played. That's enough for a guy. Like, I won. I'm coming back, right? For her, yeah. like, she talked more about, like, the atmosphere. The social and aspect, like yeah. yeah. So I and, think, yeah, there's more yeah. to it for women, maybe, than just the, like, winning or losing. Yeah, and, I, like, I have that one experience this January where there was a, a, a yeah, a woman playing, and then, and then she must have been, like, between 30 and 35 or something. Mm -hmm. And then... There was like these um, life slash online grinders. Like I couldn't tell them whether they were life online grinders, but then she played five ten, mm -hmm. and it was like, boom, bomb hunting. This is like three yeah. guys, just like, and, and they wouldn't even make a, you know fusses about it. It's like, guys, like, what, what are you, what are you just doing? Like, are you just like fully obviously bomb hunting her, like almost in her face? Like, yeah, mm -hmm. like me. I don't know how many times she's played, but she's been clearly not playing like probably for for like ages or something so yeah that, that was that was totally ridiculous like it must have been a really weird experience for her um, there's right. something that people don't talk that much about too is that um live poker uh i remember the outliers so much more easily it's just your brain's just gonna remember people who are weird to you who don't fit a certain stereotype if I see an old guy five bet bluff, that old guy is burned into my brain for all eternity. <laughs> like I see that guy, I'm like, that's that gangster old guy. Um, and I think that it's part of it for women too, is that you get paid attention to, which kind of sucks. If you're playing, if you're playing the same people a lot, mm. they have like HUD stats on you in their mind that you don't have on them. Cause, cause to me, that guy just looks like a hoodied guy, like everyone else. But to him, it's like, oh, I'm that girl that three bets too much. Cause he noticed it and whatever. <laughs> Don't you have it way easier in some way? I've seen guys soft play women a lot. 
Yeah, especially some... older guys. So you get yeah. soft plays a lot. Like oh, I would actually true. argue that I could make more money in live poker games as, as, as a woman. Like because yeah, it's just soft play that it's like if you're if you're hyper aware of how other people are perceiving you, then I mm -hmm. totally agree with that. Like if if you are aware, if some old guy's like, I'm gonna fold to you, and you're like, cool, noted, awesome. Um, and also just that that's something you learn just from talking to people. You could be a guy and you're just super friendly. You'll get mm -hmm. you'll get more information like that. It's hard to know when someone's soft playing you and when they're not. Like, uh, I think though that you're right that sometimes the people who want to be like, "Woe is me, I'm a female in poker. It's so hard. Everyone, you know, whatever." There are some good things. There are obviously mm -hmm. some good things. Like even just opportunities I get to have. Like there's good things about it too. Um, and yeah, like there are definitely people who like have missed out on a lot of value versus me because they're just like, "Oh, I like her. Like we're friendly at the table, and I'm not going to value bet her here." And so. I think there is some of that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if, if you ask uh, Liv Burry, I don't know if you've seen her on uh, Golden Balls. Have you seen that? That was awesome. That was so cutthroat. <laughs> I mean, I was like, this, this poor guy, like, he, she's just lying to his face. And, mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, it's just game theory. Yeah, you, yep. yeah you, have to, you have to basically go for steal and just pray that the other person leaves it. I wouldn't want to play on the show because I think there it's like, it's so different from poker. I think yeah. it's like almost a little bit anymore. Like, like you, you, you just, have to like for me poker bluffing is not lying it's just taking a line right you're just taking a bet sizing choice or whatever for whatever yeah. hand you have and just making a strategic option actually i don't feel like i'm lying or anything uh, mm -hmm. and honesty is a pretty important thing to me so yeah i'm like i'm also not answering questions when, when i'm in when i'm in a hand so like i am not lying in any way so i'm just doing my poker thing and Whereas, whereas in that show, you clearly had to convince somebody that that you know they are going to have to take a choice that that will yeah, benefit you. Like, it's like, it feels like steal, actual stealing, right? You but could that's as well. Parameters of that game, like I, I know it's a game, but I, would you say that game should even be played? I mean, it's like literally <laughs> a, a, a game based on dishonesty, right? It's like well, me and you were just talking about how we both love Survivor, and I would have absolutely no problem if I if I got in that game. Okay. If me and you got in that game together. We yeah. could be really good friends outside of the game. I have absolutely no problem lying to you in that yeah. game or using yeah. your own like weaknesses. I would look at it as a weakness if you're like, me and Jamie are friends and like she would never do this to me. I'd be like, I'm gonna mm. do this to you, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, basically winner take all. And um and I wanna win this game. And I think that sometimes the people who come back from there and they're really butthurt about how they've been treated in the mm. game. I think that's a huge weakness. You're not a good player then if you can't mm. separate gameplay from real life. Um, I don't care if you spend 30 days hanging out and like getting water together and sleeping next to each other and all the other stuff, you know, going in that this is a game that like part of the strategy is being devious um, and like deceptive. And I think that that is why that game is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe it's not as extreme, I, I guess, as the other show, but I, but I love Survivor 2 and I would love to see that's, I think, the, the one reason why I would love to be on that show, because I would love to see how I would behave because of my ethics and like trying to be honest, but then I'm trying to like how I would want to see how I would lie, basically. Yeah. Like, how would I how would I try to deceive people? Because I would clearly try to win the game in Survivor. Yeah. I think I would manage it, but I would have to like understand, OK, how do I how do I actually manage this to in order not have to just do too much. You could just be honest. Right. Let's say we get on the season together and we're like, listen, I'm going from from five people on, you're fucked. 
<laughs> you know, like saying that, like you can trust. I know, he, he, but that's like a no-go in Survivor, isn't it? Like you never tell somebody like they're voted off next. Like you're always right. trying to deceive right. them. And, but if you had an uh, an alliance from the beginning where you're just like, can we guarantee each other's safety through a certain number? And then you're just like, mm -hmm. we'll have to see how the game shakes out after that. Like I, I feel like those are the people who do the best. Like I don't yeah. want to say any spoilers in case people haven't watched the the last season, mm -hmm. but. The people who form like a very strong alliance with one person, realizing that at some point, like both it of doesn't serve people, them. Yeah. Yeah, I think those are pretty honest alliances. I think those people are like really friends, and they like are yeah. doing everything in each other's best interest to get towards the end. And then you know, at some point, they're gonna I have mean, to. Yeah, when it comes down to five, four people in Survivor, you and also even at the break of like eight or the jury break. The jury break is really interesting because you, you want obviously the people you vote off uh, to not feel bad about you, then that they cast you the vote towards you winning. So you're gonna have to think about well, if if somebody actually naturally hates you in the beginning, <laughs> you have to kick them out before it comes to the jury breaking point uh, because yeah. if they are in that jury yeah, you know that's you. a vote minus one for you mm -hmm. yeah that's that, that's pretty important so mm -hmm. i feel like that the natural alliances in, in, the, in the show survivor are are really important because the chances are that those natural alliances coming strong together until the end will also both ways work in terms of casting votes for each other you know yeah. even if you are basically backstabbing in that game someone had four left Chances are still that they're going to say, okay, like fair play, you won. That, that's mm -hmm. it. And sometimes it's also about like just winning one of the challenges down to four and being immune and to be cast. Yeah, that's the part I don't like as much is that. Uh, no, I think that's a great aspect. I, mean, I love that, yeah. I think at the end, it does sort of, it starts to become less about um, strategical things you've done uh, during the game and more like, oh, you're good at a puzzle or you're strong. And it's like, ugh. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. Okay. The puzzle thing, well, or strong. Yeah, it is. But but I think it's 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 a it's a whole more better rounded game that it has those elements. It's it's like saying in poker, well, the guy with deuces can't win against aces, right? Like you have the same um, a little bit of luck element also. You know that the challenges yeah. are going to be random, and and you know you're going to have to just accept what hand you're dealt with and what mm -hmm. outcome you're dealt with. But um, you know, there's a lot of things that you can control. And, and also, like in, in the strategic elements, there's just some lineups that you could be in at the beginning that you're totally screwed. Like, for example, Garrett, also as a poker player, he was uh, fucked in, in that in that in that in that show where he was at. He was totally screwed. Like, every he would just make everyone feel insecure. Yeah. Um, but he was also a little bit his fault. Like, he came across as like this, a little bit. You know, I mean, yeah, but, but at the same time, it's just also, you know, his looks made everyone feel insecure, you know? I know. that That's one aspect of it. I thought it was yeah. so funny. I didn't know him before watching his season, yeah. and now it's a lot funnier because I watched that, and I was like, whoa, he did the thing that, like, no women like, no women like this, being told by the, like, buff, handsome guy, uh, listen, three women, we're doing this and it makes sense and you're going to do it. And like, that's how he came across. And I'm watching that. And I'm like, wow, they actually voted him out before the crazy lady who burned all their food. Oh, um, yeah, that, that 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 season was hilarious for sure. Yeah. yeah. And now knowing Garrett's personality, that is so crazy that that's the line he took because he's just a nice guy, like uh, and very thoughtful and considerate and stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's wild that on that show, he thought that that was the best play to make there because it was like, man, you must have been tired and starving because that is crazy. I mean, that, that's also when I saw it. I mean, he was on 
Joe Ingram's podcast um, just a couple months ago, and I thought he was like totally different. Like mm -hmm. I told me, like because I knew him from Survivor and a little bit playing. Yeah. I thought he was yeah, but but then on on there he was just a totally different dude and, mm -hmm. and uh, totally honest about where he's at and and just such mm -hmm. an open personality, outgoing, and uh, that was so surprising to me because I knew him from Survivor. So. Um, that People was, discount that was though the the hangry factor, right? When you haven't eaten, how many times do you really feel at your worst? Like I've felt it before in law school. If I stayed up twenty four hours to write a paper or something like that, mm -hmm. I'm not going to be a nice person when I run into someone. I'm not like, oh hi, I haven't seen you. I'm just like, please let me go to bed. Like I just want to get through this. Sure. They probably feel like that multiple days in a row, or it's just like I don't I, like not eating and not sleeping. I'm surprised more people don't just spaz out and do crazy things on that show. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. Yeah, that, 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 there's so many elements that, that I think also the uncertainty is really attractive to Survivor the show because you don't know what you're getting. It's like mm -hmm. a new life starting. Um, do you also know that uh, there's, do you know Wayward Pines, the mm -hmm. show? It's also something that I've thought, uh, you know, the guy, I was in the US studying in 2012. I was there with a homestay family and they mm -hmm. introduced me to Survivor. And they also like the uh, the guy. He basically sent me some episodes of West. Uh, no, not Westworld, but uh, but Wayward Pines. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought that show was really great because it it's basically creating this idea of people being postponed like two two thousand years from now, and you're just waking up and everyone else is dead except for all the people within the city of Wayward Pines. Mm -hmm. And that idea is so great, and then it portrays the idea of how people would react. And some people actually shine in that new world, like with their new gained power, because in the old world, they didn't have power. And now they all of a sudden, they're really motivated. And some other people, they're destroyed because in this new world and they are no longer in charge. And, and it makes um, some hypothesis on, on young people, on older mm -hmm. people, how they would deal with such a change. And I, I thought that was a fascinating show to me. We're sort of experiencing something like that right now right like how different the world has been for the last two months and mm -hmm. like i i've reached out to some friends who are just 20 times more social than me i'm very uh i can i can be extroverted for short periods of time i do enjoy other people and stuff but i could easily spend 10 days reading and playing poker and not really talking to anyone um so like that shakeout has been super weird like some of my friends are depressed because they were the going out five days a week people and like they are dying to have something open for them to do. Um, and then I, I think that some people are looking at it like they're in prison, like everything has changed so much. It like reminded me of the show you're talking about. And mm -hmm. like some people are like, I'm coming out of prison jacked, right? I'm going to work out and study and be better. And other people are just like sitting around getting fat, waiting for this to be over with. And it is weird. Like, I, I don't know. I wonder if poker players on average are better to adjusting to these like life situations that you can get dealt randomly than other people who Probably. just want to I think there's a, there's a lot learned uh, from, from this crisis on mm -hmm. an individual basis that you just try to, to adapt. I mean, and, and I think as you say, as a poker player, it's probably easier yeah. depending on how how adaptive you were before that too. Like, can you can you deal with the fact that you can no longer play live poker? Can you play online poker? Do you have the skill set for it? And then now to to realize that you have opportunities and that you are not, um, you know, you're not doomed, right? And if you, I think telling yourself that you do have opportunities is something really important. If you tell yourself the opposite, you're you're heading down a really bad slope. And yeah, yeah. That's why I, I'm. Very surprised poker players have not dominated Survivor, and it's been the opposite. Uh, poker players have been fucking awful at Survivor. <laughs> like I thought that that would be a thing where 
Um, it, I realized this when I went to a wedding. Uh, this is so long ago because mm -hmm. I've been in a relationship like a hundred years now. But I was mm -hmm. I went to a wedding as a date um, with someone I had just been seeing a little while, and he was in the wedding. So I was at a table with strangers, and I was dreading it. And then I sat down and I just like got to know everyone, and it was really fun and had drinks with them, and I was like a really great night. And then I realized, oh my god, like this isn't scary at all. This is every day I play live you sit down and you meet a table full of strangers and you find things you have in common and you find the people who like to chat and you leave the people alone who don't like to chat. Um, and I just felt like that is a thing we repeat over and over again when we play live. So I felt like going into Survivor, I would be like that where you just go, okay, like give me my batch of people. Let's figure mm -hmm. out the people that, um, that I get along with and whatever else. And I felt like poker players would crush that aspect. Mm -hmm. It is who, who's your favorite player? Who was your favorite player, by the way, on Survivor, like almost all time? Of all time? Um, I know somebody who I would vote. <laughs> I know. There's so many good ones, though. Like, I think Parvati is amazing, but it's like mm -hmm. such a standard answer because she's just like yeah. fun and she just backstabs and no one really ever sees it coming. Boston mm -hmm. Roth, though, is just like he has the uh, the charisma and the like um, being able to control and manipulate people down so well. Like he's mm -hmm. a target and he somehow survives super late until he has a chance. Like, how does that happen? I don't know. Who's your favorite? I like uh, Cochran. Yeah, the super mm. cerebral guy. Yeah, he because he he said something to the other guy who was like uh, who was with him on his show, um, but he said something to him like because I think when they were down to the interview part of the, the jury part, he was mm -hmm. asked like why what made you more likely to win this game, and he said something like. Well, probably his degree of insecurity that that made him more likely to not be perceived as a threat by the other contestants. It makes you accessible to people. Like everyone yeah. feels insecure at some point that like he's more accessible to them. They're like, okay, this guy is worried. Like you, you kind of don't go after the person who shows some humility and and worry mm -hmm. about their own game. It's the that's but that's where I'm like Boston Rob's a genius because how does he not get killed right away instantly? Yeah, yeah, because he's like totally outgoing and like yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I want to play. Bad. I feel like we should just <laughs> poker players organizing just um, yeah. but at the same time I would never want to play with people that actually know me okay because I don't think that's ki kind of fair mm -hmm. right I would want to play with people where I have a, a blank page mm -hmm. they don't know nothing about me and then I can just make my persona because then I have like a, a free I have a free game I can I can come up with so many things about myself I'm sure you know you can tell that I'm probably not American. Like I learned my English a little bit in at school and in Australia, and I, I'm going to have like German accent, Australian influence, and then a little bit in the U.S. But but apart from that, I could be probably whoever I want to be in, in some way, except for my personality and some things that I can change about my body yeah. language, maybe. But that's that's what I would want to play. And and I think if if you know somebody, it's just like ah. Uh, you know too much too much information and then it's like yeah to know the strategic background yeah i think you you seem like you like the escapism factor of it too maybe yeah, you get put there you get to just decide how you want to portray, portray yourself and there's no ties to any of your real personality or life if you want to go there and be like i'm a garbage man then you're a garbage man for 39 days cool mm -hmm. that's that's yeah, a really appealing aspect of it for me too
it's kind of a fun idea, I think, to, uh, to I mean, escapism in poker. I mean, have you ever think that that was true for you as well within poker, that it was a form of escapism? Yeah. Well, yeah. When I like ditched my whole life and moved to Mexico, that was yeah, pretty that point. of me. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that too is that um, uh, like online poker felt like that when you're anonymous and you get to just try this new job, see if you're good at it and like whatever. Uh, and no one really knows who is behind the keyboard. I think that is a cool part of it. Um, that actually, you know, I should have mentioned that when we were talking about getting more women into poker, mm -hmm. when online poker is robust and like beatable and it's available everywhere in the U S that definitely has an effect because people get some hands right. under their belt before they have to go get looked at as like an other, when you're the only woman at the table or whatever. Um, I think that's really important and I wish that the U S mm -hmm. would get their act together. It's free tax revenue. We're just like dropping the ball there by not letting people play. How would your life look today if you had a uh, hundred million dollars? How would it look differently? Hmm. I would have a pit bull rescue and I would do like if a hundred million dollars, I feel like I could like end the problem where people just uh, like put animals outside to die. I, that's like not a huge expensive problem. You should see some of these rescues that pop up. There's one in Aruba that was just going to be a small operation. It's called um, Sergeant Pepper's Friends. And uh, a woman started it. She lost her favorite pet. Uh, just the pet died. And she started mm -hmm. a rescue where she takes all the animals that are brought to this like kill cage they have there. They have a thing where you could drop off animals that are stray and they'll euthanize them humanely. But it's still terrible because sometimes puppies, like adoptable pets will be in there. Um, and she just rescues all them. And she started this thing. And it's huge now. And it's not expensive. Dogs and cats, they live on like less than a dollar a day. Um, okay. It's not an expensive wow, thing. I had 100 million bucks that could be a solution to all that because I'm already like good at the social media aspect where I feel like rehoming animals wouldn't be that hard. Um, mm -hmm. You just have to like spam their pictures to everyone who might want them. But that, you know, that's, that's what I would do um, if I had that much money. And I think even if I build up a decent bankroll, that's going to be the next thing that I do that mm -hmm. I spend a lot of my time on. Okay. Um, where can people find you um, on all social media? Uh, I'm just at Jamie Kerstetter on Twitter. I'm at Jamie Likes Dogs on Instagram. <laughs> and I don't really mess around with Facebook or anything, so that's about it. And who do you think would be a great guest for the Poker Player podcast here in the future? Oh, that's a good question. Um, let me think. I have to pick a woman after all this woman talk, right? I think, have you had Chrissy? Yeah, no. I think Chrissy. I, I want to hear more stuff from Chrissy because I think... Um, she doesn't share a ton of her personality with everyone because she's just a very serious poker player and she's always talking about poker. And mm -hmm. honestly, if I wanted to hit her up, I'd probably ask her something strategy related because I'd be the, the annoying person who hits you up and who's like, what would you do in this spot? Like, I would probably hit her up for that before I hit her up with like, hey, like, tell me about your life. So I think um, she doesn't really get to share too much about her personal life and stuff. And I'd like to hear what it looks like. All right. Um... I also want to give you the last word for the Poker Player Podcast. Is there something that you would uh, want to have differently in poker or some impact in poker that you want to have? Um, okay, so like touching back on things we talked about earlier, um, I wish more of the good people in poker uh, were highlighted instead of the flashiest people, um, instead of the old schoolist people. Uh, I really mm -hmm. wish that there was more development of some of these awesome all around human beings who happen to be crushing and that we just develop them into superstars instead of going with the superstars of 20 years ago, just because we're lazy. 
Okay, thank you very much uh, for being a guest on the Poker Player Podcast. I hope that you guys afterwards, you can always watch this on YouTube as it's recorded. And I'm also going to put it on um, Anchor so you can listen to this podcast over there as well. Cool, thank you. Thanks. Mm -hmm.